Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and this is The Point. We have become the source for authenticity and exactitude here in Southeast Pennsylvania and Delaware Valley. Why? Because you've all identified our show as the guidepost for truth seekers everywhere in Southeast Pennsylvania. The Point is the home of factualism, folks, and thanks to all of you for tuning in today, as you have every week. We have an action-packed show today, and we're going to be moving very quickly at the speed of sound. And we're going to provide an explanation to the unexplainable as we go along. We're going to unpack things, folks. We're going to, we're going to discuss and expose the media malpractice going on every day in plain sight by the Pravda Propaganda Fake News Networks. Folks, let's jump right into it. I, I got to tell you, we had a... Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the... Uh, the uh, Abraham Accords, the UAE and Bahrain signed a peace deal with Israel. Folks, this is a colossal achievement for Trump foreign policy. And I think what, what the, the, this basically, and this is, this shows and demonstrates Trump's expertise in foreign policy. Everyone had been saying all along, everyone had been all the, all the fake experts on the fake news have been declaring, consistently declaring, that while well, Trump was incompetent on foreign policy, that Trump couldn't handle it, that Trump, that Trump was, was uh, mishandling foreign leaders and they didn't respect them. So, you know, we watch NATO and NATO suddenly decides to give us, give us more of contributions, increase their contributions to NATO so that, you know, the European countries are now doing this. And again, that's Trump's leadership in foreign policy. And we've watched him un pull back the curtains on China and on Russia. And we've watched Trump masterfully handle the border issues with Mexico. And we watched Trump masterfully handle the trade deals with Mexico and Canada. And we watched Trump masterfully handle North Korea and and, and just everything, all, all these other foreign policy issues. But this really is the crowning achievement. Every president attempts to do something special in the Middle East. Everyone except for Barack Hussein Obama. I mean, he actually wanted to do something special for Iran. But whatever the case is, folks, make no mistake about it. This is a colossal achievement for Trump foreign policy. And again, it, it, it's right on top of everything else he's been doing. This is a... A, a, an affront to his critics who have been declaring over and over his, his incompetency. They now see categorically that they were wrong, although that doesn't matter to them. They're blinded by their hatred towards Trump. But folks, Trump is working to repair one of the biggest rifts in human history. It's extraordinary that Trump has achieved this during this pandemic cycle, which I think is an amazing accomplishment, and, and even what's even more amazing to this, is it's almost 20 years to the day of the 9-11 attacks. I think that's even more amazing. But folks, this is a very exciting time in our world, and it's especially huge in the Arab and the Muslim world. The Abraham Accords mark a significant step towards a comprehensive peace in the Middle East. Okay, a reason for hope, hope for Israel, hope for Israel's neighbors. 
And one of the greatest foreign policy achievements for the Trump administration, folks, this is this. This is the crowning achievement here. Ultimately, it is the most it is most fitting, again, that this accord is named after Abraham, who is the common patriarch of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. I think that's interesting as well. But Nancy Pelosi, well, she was on the fake news being touted as a fake expert, but they she was surrounded with other fake experts to give her credibility with her fakeness and her phoniness. But she was so shameful in her recognizing of this achievement. She she basically, I mean, look, Trump has always stated that he could cure cancer. And these lunatics wouldn't show, demonstrate, or exhibit any acknowledgement or appreciation for that achievement, for mankind or anything. He has said that over and over. And Nancy Pelosi just proved it, just categorically proved it. Because she failed to recognize the impact of this achievement and what the impact will have on mankind and on the Muslim world. She is just infuriated with it. When she was on MSNBC, she was she just had this look on her face of complete disdain towards of to, to the achievement. <clears throat> she was almost angry that if she's seemingly angry that this was achieved and she called it a distraction, which I, I, I'm amazed at. I, I, folks, look, when I've been, we've been saying on this show over and over, and I think Trump's been declaring the problem, the propaganda, their fake experts and the Democrat party have become the end, the end America group. They are truly looking to end this country and end America. They cannot stand Donald Trump. They're, their hatred towards Trump eclipses all, all sensibility. I mean, it eclipses everything. Like I said, Trump could cure cancer, and they wouldn't like him for it. Okay? Uh, you know, um, it's, it's just amazing to me. But she has proven that she is wish-casting failure and hoping for further unrest and hostility in the Middle East as well as right here in the U.S., folks. And I don't want to miss that. She categorically proved it with her her handling of this. I mean, she didn't even give credit to the to the achievement itself to mankind. She she just wouldn't do it. I mean, I think she's rooting for unrest, and I think this is proof of that. Like all like all Marxists, they want unrest to provide an open door for their takeover of the country. What happens in all these countries that have had Marxism, socialism come in, there was they were always precluded, but they were always, uh, I, I want to say that they, there was always action taken prior, prior to the takeover of the, the political takeover of the country. That action generally is unrest, uncertainty. And they cast all of this into the in, into the into the marketplace as well, and they get the public to support it on their promise to bring, you know, to, to bring calm and and to, and to bring rest and to bring civility again. So they they bring this. Well, Trump delivered this. He delivered on this in the Middle East. I mean, you've heard politicians throughout the years, all the way back to Jimmy Carter. I mean, I, I can remember when I was in high school and this thing happened. But all these politicians throughout the years, they've all 
They've all put out there over and over that they wanted to to promote peace in the Middle East. And I mean, Jimmy Carter did have Egypt signed onto a peace accord, and we watched we watched the leader of Egypt. Sadat get get assassinated. I mean, we watched that happen. It was on TV. I remember that. I mean, but but you know, Jordan signed on later, years later. But all the presidents since Jimmy Carter that I've been watching, all all have been trying to bring peace to the Middle East. Trump actually did it. I mean, that this is a peace treaty, folks. I mean, this is something. This is this is a seismic event that took place in the Middle East. And Nancy Pelosi didn't want to give it any credit at all because, after all, it hurts her chances for holding onto the House. And, uh, you know, she just doesn't like that. Again, her selfish interests are more important to her than peace in the Middle East. Families actually being able to raise their children in the Middle East. Success and happiness for the families that have been war-torn all these years over there now have the hope of peace and Nancy Pelosi's upset because she may lose this election because of this achievement, this crowning achievement by, by Trump and Trump's foreign policy. See, this achievement actually it, it, this, this achievement actually discredits all his critics, the John Boltons, the Kellys, you know, I mean, Mattis, you know, Mad Dog Mattis, all these people that were out there denouncing Trump as incompetent on foreign policy. Colin Powell, all of these people. Well, this discredits those claims. And this is something that Nancy Pelosi and the other day just can't deal with that. Now, what's interesting, too, and I want to point this out. This is a distinct point. The Palestinians have been seemingly isolated in this deal. So Trump did a workaround. See, every one of these presidents prior in years prior all tried to appease the Palestinians. The problem with that is the Palestinians want to end Israel. That's, that's what they're looking to do. They want to end Israel. So Trump worked around the Palestinians and actually took a different approach on this. Now, now they still have an open door to see what, you know, and what, what engagement with Israel really will look like. There, there is an open door. I mean, this really is a taste of what's to come, and they're going to get a whiff of it, okay? But Trump was able to pull this off by working around the Palestinians, and I just think that that's, that's something distinct. See, the Palestinians for decades, okay, have, have, have been without any reason or have been rudderless, completely rudderless in this peace process. They have been. And they would, you know, I think they've been holding on to the unrest that had been going on over there in the Middle East in hopes of ending Israel. I think all of this was a distinct attempt to create unrest in the Middle East to point to Israel as the problem so that the world would rise up against Israel. This is what they were trying to get to happen. And I guess it didn't, obviously, because Trump came in and he brought peace to the Middle East. And I think that this is, and there's going to be other countries signing on to this, as Trump said. I mean, this is a very distinct achievement. I mean, it really is. This is this is a seismic event. And, you know, the media just didn't really cover it either, folks. I just think that's really telling as well. I mean, they did more than show their bias. I mean, they, they're, they're not even reporting something as significant as this.
I mean, Trump was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize because of this, and the media didn't pick up on that story, let alone the, the seismic story we're talking about today. The event that took place, they, they didn't cover it. They really didn't cover it. The media kind of left it alone. And I, th I just think that's very interesting and distinct, but very proving that the, pro the propaganda truly is acting as an enemy of the people. Folks, they are. Make no mistake about it. It's it's in plain sight. It's been it's in plain sight. You see, the the Abraham Accord is monumental because the UAE is the first Persian Gulf state to establish full diplomatic relations with Israel, and only the third ever Arab country to do so after Egypt in '79, as I talked about, and Jordan. About, oh, about 15 years later, 94, I think it was. The peace agreement will also improve military ties between the two nations. Now, the accord could open the gate to further peace deals with other Gulf states. As I said, Trump had made that comment, and I think it can happen. You see... The ensuing coalition could create advanced early warning systems against Iranian missiles. And I think that that's something, too. I, I think in retrospect, when you look at all of this, really what helped bring this about, and we need to give some credit for the really bad Iranian, the Iran deal that, that Obama and Biden came up with, that real bad deal they came up with, I think, moved the Gulf states into a complete fear that they have to work something out with peace with Israel because Iran is not a country that they want to they want to mess with. They certainly don't want that country to uh, to be able to to run over them militarily. I mean, Obama and Biden consistently empowered Iran, legitimized. Iran's regime's nuclear ambitions and gave it tens of billions of dollars. I mean, much of which likely went to terrorist organizations like Hezbollah and others in the Middle East. I mean, Obama-Biden created a monster that all of its neighbors, including Israel and the Arab states, felt compelled to band together against. I mean, that's... I mean, Obama managed to accomplish what hundreds of diplomats working for decades could not manage to do so, and that was creating Iran that everyone would be afraid of. <clears throat> and I think that really was part of what I think helped bring this about, ironically. But again, these benefits, okay, and again, I, I, they're not just limited to the Middle East. They're not. But as I stated earlier, they could create an advanced early warning system against Iranian missiles. You see, a sort of connected command and control network for missile defense, naval operations, and so forth in the Red Sea, and, northern, and, and, and of course in the northern Indian Ocean and, and Arabian Gulf, that can be made possible with this sort of an alliance. Shared military technology and a regular exchange of intelligence. So again, as I say, they're not just limited to the Middle East. I think Serbia agreed to move its embassy to, to Jerusalem. We just know that. While Kosovo announced it will formally recognize Israel as well. 
I think that, that that's important, okay? Look, the, 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 this is a major diplomatic triumph since it marks the first two European nations to move their embassies to Jerusalem, as well as the first Muslim-majority nation to do so as well. I just think that's interesting as well. Look, ironically, and I talked about this, I just think that moving forward, I, I just think it's important that we understand the response from the Democrats and the response from the Pravda propaganda, fake news networks, is indicative of what improves, categorically proves, what we've been saying here on this show consistently for two years, which is the end America Democrats are truly make China great again and, I mean, not acting in the best interest of this country and their cohorts and the Pravda propaganda networks are nothing but propaganda arms for the Democrat Party. And that's what they are. Well, folks, I, I know who, who saw the town hall debates, uh, I should say the town hall events in Philadelphia. I believe it was in Philadelphia. Trump was in Philly at a town hall event with the, with the Clinton war machine, I think the war room machine, which was George Stephanopoulos. I remember George Stephanopoulos. He was a uh, campaign guy working for Bill Clinton back in the early 90s when Clinton was running. And I remember the uh, one of the town hall one of the town hall debates that was done between Bill Clinton, George Bush, and, and Ross Perot, and they were taking calls from you know all over the world, but they were taking calls on questions. Okay, so the calls were coming in. I believe it was ABC, but I remember the network. But but I remember the town hall event. I remember watching it with my wife on CNN, and. Uh, you know, George Bush, George H.W. Bush gets a question from Brussels and he answers it. I can't remember. I can't recall what the question was, but he answered it. And then another question comes in for Ross Perot and a question comes in for Bill Clinton. Then another question comes in for George Bush. And the caller was George Stephanopoulos. So so Bill Clinton's own campaign person made a phone call in, got called in and was accepted on the call to ask a question of George H.W. Bush in that town hall. I thought that way. I, I told my wife, I said, I can't believe that. That guy works for, for Clinton. I can't believe he's on there asking a question during this town hall event. Well, George Stephanopoulos later gets a job for, uh, you know, after the Clinton White House, he gets a job for ABC. So now he's doing this, you know, he's working for them as one of their fake journalists, and he's doing this fake town hall. Now, this was supposed to be a town hall that was uh, set up with undecided voters. That's what it was set up to be. Now, I want you folks to keep in mind that the questions came from, quote unquote, undecided voters. The audience was set up by ABC. The questions were set up by them as well. And uh, Trump didn't get them in advance. He did not get the questions in advance, nor did he get the answers in advance, nor was he able to use a teleprompter for the answers. Unlike Joe Biden, of course, when he does interviews, he's able to use a teleprompter. But George Stephanopoulos was sitting there and he, uh, you know, he calls out the questions. OK, so now these are supposedly uncommitted voters and they're supposedly, you know, you, you know, you could just see that they're supposedly a uh, I want to say a, a reflection, if you will, uh, 
of of the American public. I mean, you would think you're going to see a a nice sampling, if you will, of the American public. Just say for grins and giggles, I'm not sure how many questions Trump took in this town hall. I was only able to listen to about six of them before I got real tired of it. But I mean, I would submit that uh, all the questions were the same. Um, I would also submit that uh, the people that were there and the questions that were there, again, they were, uh, it was a setup, okay? Because it's supposed to be a cross-section of the American public, if you will. You're supposed to get, you know, different types of people from different walks of life, businessmen, blue-collar workers, white-collar workers, working professionals. Uh, You'll get some public union people like teachers, maybe. Uh, You might get some police officers in there for questions. Uh, You might have an attorney, uh, certainly a doctor. Uh, you know, you, 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 I, I could see all these different people asking questions. Okay. That would be to me, a town hall that would have some substance. Cause you're going to get questions from different people with different concerns. For instance, a businessman will be asking about concerns to, to small business. Uh, a bigger, uh, a, a bigger business person, my a CEO or board, a board of directors, board member might be asked a different question. Uh, you know, might, might ask different questions concerning, uh, you know, bigger business. Uh, you might have a doctor asking questions about health care. You might have a lawyer asking questions about immigration. You might have blue collar workers uh, asking questions about, you know, the pay, the pay discrepancies or whatever. You know, I don't know, uh, you know, what, what his idea is or his or her idea is of, uh, of, of, uh, of, a, of a workable pay, of a workable salary. Uh, you might see other managers in there, other professionals in there, uh, you know, whatever. You're going to see all these different people at, being asked all these different questions. But that's not what we saw here. No, that's not what we saw. Now, I will submit that we really don't know what the occupations were of the questioners because that really wasn't highlighted by George Stephanopoulos. He did not. Hi- he did mention it on a couple of them. That I made point to note it. But there are others he did not note what their profession was, but you can only presume based on the question and uh, and whatnot that uh, pr- what their interests were, that they probably weren't of this cross section, if you will, of, of the American public, this, uh, you know, this sampling, if you will, of the American public. Well, let's take a look at it, okay? The first question was seemingly from an angry guy out of Bethlehem. I got that, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And he he claimed to be a pro-life conservative. And again, they got the mask on, so he's wearing it. But you can see the contempt behind the mask. You can see the contempt. And he says, I voted for Trump. He says, he says, I thought, Mr. President, I thought you did a great job until you took your foot off the brakes. So what this person was angry about was a reopening of the economy from the pandemic. So this person was angry. And again, he appeared angry with the question. But he also appeared angry because... You know, he says, I got underlying conditions. I have diabetes. And I think he said something else. And he basically, he just seemed like he was angry about the reopening of the economy. He thought we needed to be on further shutdown. So Trump thoughtfully answers that question. But again, you have to ask yourself, was this guy a real conservative? Really, was he? Was he really a pro-life conservative? Because a pro-life conservative likely would not have asked that question. I'm just bringing it up. I mean, Trump is and certainly a pro-life, cons- someone who touts in his in his identifying of himself, he touted himself as a pro-life individual. So you would think that he would, because he touted that, you would think that he would bring up something like, 
you know, that he, he's happy that Donald Trump supports life and that Donald Trump is the most pro-life president that we've ever had because Donald Trump is the first president and the only president to address the March for Life rally. Okay, that's distinct. And of course, the justices he put on there are pro-life justices. So you would think that this person, because this person made it a point to describe themselves as pro-life, that their question would have been kind of tailored to that. But no, this person talked about the reopening of the economy and how he thought it was too soon. Interesting, interesting question there. A very distinct point there I want to point out. That leads me to think that there might have been a setup there. But the second question was from a, quote, pastor. And this person asks a question on income inequality, which I thought was interesting as well. He seemed to be very angry, and he looked like he tried to, he looked like he was trying to, to take Trump down some sort of a, a, you know, a road, if you will, a path, if you will. He's trying to, he's trying to lead Trump down this idea that, because he was asking the, he asked the question, he said, he asked, he says, what, he says, the, your, your slogan, make America great again. He says, I believe that that slogan does not work for every American. And he wanted to make it a point to say that, you know, he wanted to call Trump out for that by saying, well, you know, your, your make America great again does not apply to, to, to some Americans. Now, Trump handled that one masterfully as well. But you could see from the questioner, you could see his, his the, 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 the frustration, the anger. You could see the disdain towards the president. You could see that this voter, this person was not an undecided voter. You could see that. You could, you could see it with all of them. And this this guy, I mean, it was very apparent that this person was a, I believe he was a Bernie Sanders supporter or something like that. He made a comment to say, but whatever, okay? So he's trying to take Trump down this road, and, you know, Trump's touting his success in, 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 in creating jobs for all Americans. And, you know, Trump touted the success, and he went into nearly uh, 6 million new jobs and over 600,000 manufacturing jobs. I mean, he just touted jobs for everyone. He didn't bring up the numbers. I'm just bringing it up. But he touted by mo- he, he, all the jobs he created, all right, record numbers of jobs that were created and how the expanded economy helped close the income gap for blue-collar workers. He talked a little bit about that as well. But again, the questioner didn't hear any of that. The questioner simply seemed to be already predisposed and against Donald Trump. And I want to make that point again, because all these questioners seem to be against the president, but I'm, I'm just making a distinct point as I go down the line here. So the third question, again, now this one was an attempt to promote Medicare for all. This was a question from a woman uh, who had a rare disease, a real rare disease, and she's suffering from, and as she put it, it moved from her eyes to some other part of her body to her brain. And when it got to her brain, I mean, she claimed, she said, she goes, she stated that she could have, uh, cl- she could have collected uh, some sort of uh, disability or something, but she said, but I chose to get an education. And so she went out and got a master's degree and she, she touted that, I mean, which is an achievement. I mean, that was great. And so Trump was listening to her. And when she said it, but I went and got a master's degree, Trump said, that's, well, that's awesome or something like that. That's great or excellent or something like that. 
And her response as she's talking, she goes, yeah. And then she went on with her question. I mean, it was like a sarcastic, yeah, not gee, thank you or whatever, but it was, it was a yeah. And then she finishes, she goes on with her question. She makes some claim about Obamacare that wasn't accurate. And Trump in the middle of her question said, but that's, that's not accurate now or something. He, he basically, he, he interjected a, a, a thought to try to correct the question or, or to make sure the question was a complete question that he could answer correctly. But instead of allowing the president to help direct her in the questioning so that she would at least get the topic correct so that she could ask the question correct, she pointed her finger at the president and she said, don't you interrupt me. Now, that was incredibly telling. Again, not an undecided uncommitted voter. This was a committed voter who was very angry about, well, about her health situation. And that's understandable. But I mean, I just think the way Trump handled her was masterful because again, he handles her with, with empathy and sympathy, but he also, he tells her, you know, congratulations on your achievement and all, but he gets into the, the, the thing on Obamacare and he tries to correct the record on that. Now, what he didn't say, and I'm going to say on our show here on The Point, right here on AM Radio, 1180 WFYL, I'm going to say it here on this show because that's what we do here, okay? And uh, because I see it very clearly, I'm going, to, I'm going to reveal this. What he did not say was that John McCain was the one who made sure that the repeal and replacement of Obamacare was not successful. When he went through the Senate, many of us remember how he did the thumbs down as he went through the line, the thumbs down on his right hand as he went through. He would not repeal and replace Obamacare. And at the time, he only had 51 votes in the Senate. So he, he and another one came together and they basically prevented the repealing and the replacing of Obamacare, which is, again, what I find ironic on all of this, going back to John McCain and some of these Republicans, this is part of the problem that the Republicans have with Trump is that all these things that the Republicans claim that they were for and that they wanted to do. And I mean, even Romney talked about repealing and replacing Obamacare. They all promised to do it, whether they be senators, congressmen running for Congress, senators running for the U.S. Senate, or yes, presidential candidates like Willard Romney running in 2012 or all of them on the stage in 2016. Of course, Donald Trump claimed it as well. But when they actually got there and they got to do it, the Republicans wouldn't do it. They wouldn't follow through with it. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, the corruption that's in Washington, the fact that many of these politicians um, had investments in these organizations that were invested in Obamacare, and they were all suffering in their financial windfall, if you will, because Trump came by and said, I don't care about your windfall and your commitment to these companies. I care about the American people and my commitment to them. I ran to repeal it, and this is what we're doing. Well, John McCain put his thumb in the eye of every American, and he he did not repeal and replace it. They had a plan. But in Trump's, to Trump's credit, Trump did not call out John McCain. He didn't do it. I'm doing it, okay? I'm doing it. But he didn't. He took ownership of it, and he just said, look, we got a lot done. We got a lot more to do. And that's kind of a paraphrase, but he handled the question very well. But again, another, it was just an angry question. 
Now, they had another question. A fourth question came up from another uh, woman. Again, I don't know what her occupation was. Oh, by the way, the previous woman that had the medical condition, she was an associate professor. So she got a master's degree to teach in college. So she's, we got that. She was a college professor. I believe, and I told you the second question came from a pastor. The first question, I don't know what his occupation was. Now, the fourth question comes from a woman. Again, her occupation was not stated. But you can conclude, again, by the question that she was not an uncommitted voter, okay, that she was a party hack, a Democrat hack, part of a campaign or whatever, and that she obviously was probably some retired public union teacher or something. I'm only making these observations because her question, her question was on the phony Atlantic article. You know, the article that claimed that Trump stood over the graves of fallen soldiers from, from previous world wars and, and call them losers or whatever, whatever it was. And that phony article that everyone, including the Atlantic, came back and said was probably wrong. You know, that article that 26 people that were around Trump when he was over there in Europe that, that time a couple of years ago, 26 people that claimed it never happened, including John Bolton, who was not a fan of the president by any stretch. I think what's interesting on all of this is that that phony article had credit credibility enough to be on the forefront brain on the on the front on the frontal lobe of this of this woman's brain for her to ask the question. She asked the question on this article. Folks, this this was a phony article and a phony question. We all know it was phony. It was proven phony, but somehow this question was the fourth question asked of the president in this town hall of uncommitted, undecided voters. Folks, this is, it was phony, a phony setup question. We had another question from a woman asking about mandated masks. Why aren't you wearing a mask, Mr. Mr. President? Why don't we have masks mandated across the country, Mr. President? Blah, blah, blah. Again, a man, again, another question on masks. I mean, all the things plaguing this country. All of the unrest and all the uncertainty with the economy and the jobs and the things that the things that we really want to know, for instance, how we're going to keep what we're not hearing from any of these people. Because, again, they're not a, it's not a, it's not an effective sampling of the American public. What we're not hearing is what's your solution, Mr. President, to help small business get kickstarted after having six months of shutdown. And going on to that in some states, even more than that. What's your plan, Mr. President, to help business, small business? What's your plan, Mr. President, to put, to give relief help to the working Americans out there every day? You know, what's your plan, Mr. President, to help further advance peace in the Middle East? What's your plan, Mr. President, to ensure we have better trade deals going forward to keep jobs in this country? Mr. President, what is your plan to create to bring back more to bring to bring back more jobs from overseas back into this country. How will you invest further in this country, Mr. President, to create more jobs in this country for more Americans? Mr. President, how will you improve the how will your policies improve the lives of Americans? Mr. President, how will your policies improve health care? You know, Mr. President, how how will consumer confidence go? 
because of your policy? How much will, I mean, how, what will happen to gas prices? Mr. President, will you continue to help support energy production in this country so that we remain number one in the world, the number one exporter in the world? But Mr. President, how, how will your policies increase wages? No, folks, we're not hearing any questions like that. We're hearing questions like, you know, <laughs> like I just got into. We're hearing questions about, you know, uh, the, uh, the reopening of the economy, how he's upset because it wasn't even a question. It was more of a statement. It was a statement, you know. I mean, you, 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 you took your foot off the brakes in early May and you reopened the economy. He didn't say reopen the economy. He's very careful. He just said you took your foot off the brakes. What he means by that is all of a sudden you declared the economies have to get reopened. Oh, my goodness, Mr. President. How irresponsible. And then, of course, the second question coming, question coming from a pastor, and instead of asking the question, which I think his question would have been better asked if he said, how will your policies increase wages for every American? Instead of asking a question like that, he's instead asking questions by saying, he, he attacks the president's slogan of make America great again, like by presuming that America was never great for several for for some Americans. I mean, again, making a statement that that you're you're wrong to make it to, to use that as a slogan because America was never great for some people. Instead of and, and, and look, again, Trump lifted him up as well with a good answer. But then the third question with that woman on Obamacare who didn't even have her facts right on Obamacare. Instead of her asking a question, you know, how will how will you help improve health care in this country going forward for people like me? That wasn't a question. Her question was more of, again, a declaration of her condition and a declaration of her opinion on Obamacare. And, and she blasted Trump for it. I mean, look, these weren't exactly questions. They were statements and they were opinions. And again, the fourth question, again, <clears throat> on the phony Atlantic article about Trump mishandling the troops. I mean, that was just a, that was a farce, folks. That was a lie. It was a sham. But again, that was the fourth question. I couldn't believe it. And then mandated masks. Well, we ended up, we, ended up, we even heard from, a, I guess, an activist college student because this person claimed that Trump didn't take the pandemic seriously. So now we hear that question come out. Trump says, seriously, I would say I took it very seriously, not just in words, but in actions, he said. My travel ban was on China and on Europe. That Those travel bans that were put in place were put in place before anybody, including Joe Biden, thought it was necessary to put them on. I had the foresight to put them on. I took action, as Trump said to her. And again, she's shaking her head. No, no, she sits down. Look, folks, I mean, I, I could go on and on, but these questions were very, very one-sided. They were from people who were committed, who were partisan, who were decided voters. They, they were all voting for Biden, and they filled that audience with people like that, and I was just amazed that they had that town hall. So what's amazing to me, and I guess the point I want to make that I want to unpack here, the distinct point I want to make here, is here we are having George Stephanopoulos and ABC News prepare a town hall of what they're claiming are uncommitted, undecided voters. And you would think that they would want to put into this town hall people from different walks of life so that Trump would get questions from all these different people 
as I said, a big cross-section of the country. He didn't get that. These were partisan hacks in the audience asking these questions. So if ABC News claims to put together a town hall that's, well, that's fair and balanced as well as properly fitted with the questions and the people with the questions that will bring about and unpack the truth in, in, a, in, a, in a very clear and concise way. Well, if, if they're claiming that before the town hall, then you see the town hall and you realize it isn't. Well, now you see evidence-based proof that ABC News is biased. They're biased, and they're biased against the president. They're biased against the American public. They're biased against America first. And folks, how could we trust anything from this news network going forward? So when ABC News makes a declaration that they're putting together a town hall event of uncommitted, undecided voters, and you know, you think you're going to have a cross sampling of the American public. Well, when they're saying it and they, and they don't deliver, then you can rest assured that any poll they come out with that claims Biden's up by six or seven points, you can know that is also a lie. You can know that anything they come out with on the campaigns is a lie. You can know that when they report on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, when they report on them, they will give them the political cover they're looking to give them. Their goal is to give them political cover. Their goal is to ask questions of Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, questions fit for a child. They're not going to ask them in-depth policy questions because, folks, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are very short on policy and long on lies. But Trump, on the other hand, well, he's not ambushed, folks. I mean, he he knew this was coming. But Trump wanted to demonstrate to the American public, but also demonstrate to Biden and Harris that he is willing to sit down in a town hall setting with with people that are partisan Democrats. Now, will Biden and Harris sit down in a town hall setting with people that are partisan Republicans, people like me and you? (laughs) Folks, I mean, that's really the question, isn't it? Would Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, would they subject themselves to a town hall question and answer session without a teleprompter, without the answer, without the questions being revealed ahead of time and without the answers being put on a teleprompter for Joe Biden to read. Is Joe Biden willing to sit down in a town hall setting with people like you and people like me asking very pointed salient questions on this country and on the future of this country and on where they stand? You know, on where they stand, folks. Because that's very telling to me. Where do they stand on amnesty for illegal immigrants? Where do they stand on decriminalizing illegal border crossings? Where do they stand on unrestricted abortions during any point of the pregnancy? Where do they stand on voting rights for felons? Where do they stand on lowering the voting age? Where do they stand on on getting rid of gang databases. 
and getting rid of cash bails to make sure that arrested criminals can get out of jail and await their trial. Oh, how about this? Where do they stand on lawlessness in the cities when their own staffers are bailing, are donating money to, to bail out arrested rioters? And when Kamala Harris on a Facebook post pleads, or maybe it was a Twitter post, pleaded for donations to an organization dedicated to bailing out arrested rioters. Where do they stand on this, folks? I'm just curious. You see, would they subject themselves to questions from me like that? You think so? I mean, do you think they would subject themselves to that? Because that's exactly what Donald Trump subjected himself to. By sitting there in that town hall and getting questions by people on why did you reopen the economy in May? And why, why, does, why, do you, why does the American system seemingly not work for everybody? And how will you fix Obamacare so that people that have conditions like me will not get left behind? I mean, again, it's a valid question. She just didn't present it well. But, I mean, I don't see a problem with the question itself. I just think that she should have asked it more professionally instead of pointing her finger at the president saying, don't interrupt me. She should have just understood that he was trying to help her shape her question so that he could answer it more completely. After all, he's the expert on it on the policy that's out there. She's presuming she knows what she's talking about. Again, you know, where are the que- uh, mandated masks? I mean, you got to be kidding me. And and the question on the Atlantic article, I couldn't believe that one. I mean, a lot of this stuff was just unbelievable, folks. Uh, look. This is this is a double standard in plain sight. This is unbelievable. I mean, even the, the, you know, I mean, they, you wouldn't, you didn't hear any questions on Mr. President. What's your thoughts on ending private health care insurance? Medicare for all. And let him pontificate on that. Instead, the attack came on him because this woman's suffering from some illness. I mean, it was just sad, but I mean, it's a point is the questions, the, the questions came from people that seemingly were angry. The town hall was a setup. The people that were there were they were definitely committed, uh, and 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 uh, I want to say they were um, they were not undecided voters. But I think what's it's just important for us to understand. So I wanted to make that point, folks, because because when you look at the president, you look at what what he was has been able to accomplish, and you look to see where the Democrats want to take us. As I stated, the Democrats want free everything for illegal immigrants. I mean, so the question that this woman had on her health care insurance, that's a valid question, but what's her thoughts on giving free health care to everybody, including illegal immigrants? Does she, does she think that it'll affect her health care? See, what this woman didn't understand and what Trump, well, he would have helped her with it. He would have helped given her a better answer had the question been phrased differently. But I think the thing of it is, is this woman <clears throat> should be understanding and Trump tried to get her to understand, but 
socialized medicine is not good. It doesn't improve quality for anybody. Socialized medicine does not improve quality. <clears throat> socialized medicine ensures people have basic coverage on basic stuff. But, I mean, the bottom line is when you need special, you know, treatments on things or you need a special procedure done, you're in line, folks. Socialized medicine, I mean, you're in line for that. When the government starts to pay for something, that's what happens. What's really interesting on all of this is that I remember watching a, uh, I watched a movie one time. It was a, an old 50s noir movie. And uh, there was a, a fellow who, a guy, a bad guy, who robbed a, uh, a gambling outfit, if you will, with another person, another guy. And the two girls that were there that they were going to be robbing, they were, one of them was in on the robbery. So it was supposed to go real smooth, and it didn't because the girl, the other girl screamed. The cop outside, there was a cop walking a beat outside, heard the scream, came through the door, and he got shot and killed. So that was the part of the, the movie that wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. So <clears throat> they framed another guy because the, because the, the cop shot in the building and killed one of the, you know, killed – well, fatally wounded one of the one of the bandits. So the other guy, the other bandit, gets a commitment from the bandit that was wounded as he takes him to the hospital and he says, Look, you need to agree with me. We're gonna we're gonna frame so and so for this. And he agreed to do it and they did. And so they framed the, the another fellow for it. So the guy they framed, they framed this guy for the crime that didn't commit the crime. And the guy's sister's out there trying to solve the crime, and that was the movie. So she ends up hooking up with this fella, this bad guy. They get connected, and and he pretends to help her. And I thought what was ironic was the guy that committed the crime, the guy that committed the crime, the guy that framed her brother for the crime, is the guy pretending to give her help to find the real criminal. Well, folks, that's that's what you see with the Democrats, and that's what I see with the Democrats. <clears throat> you have the people that per that that perpetrated the crime, the ruining of our health care, the ruining of of education in the inner cities, the ruining of the economic structure in many parts of this country. The ruining of the family constructs and the family traditions, the breakdown of society, <clears throat> because they they helped usher in all these policies that brought all this on, and the indoctrination that these people were responsible for, the indoctrination in our schools of our young people, so that our young people would be taught the new norm. Folks, these politicians perpetrated the crime. These political Democrat Party leaders did this. And throughout the years, they, they just doubled down on it and doubled down on it. Today, we have public school system in these cities that are totally failing our young people. Totally. In the state of Pennsylvania, we spend about 40% of our state budget 
total budget on public education. And we just, we, we have a horrible education system because if you, if you look at what, I mean, you got the common core and then you have what they're teaching our kids, but what they're not teaching our kids and what they are teaching our kids, what our kids are coming out of school learning and what they're not learning. Our children are not proficient in math and reading, but they're certainly proficient in some of the wrong teachings on American history. And they're proficient on looking at this country as an oppressive nation who unfairly got ahead and unfairly achieved and that were wrongfully wrongfully founded. I mean, that's what the, these children are being taught. They don't see the specialness of this country. They don't see the uniqueness of our nation, of our constitution, of our way of life. They don't see it. They weren't taught that. Folks, those are principles and characteristics of our country that are taught to our young people. They're not, they're not transferred in the bloodline. They're taught to our young people. So when our young people get into the workforce, if they're not taught those significant points of us, of our uniqueness and our, of our wonderful founding in this country, then they don't see the specialness of our country. And, and without that, they'll hold our country and our nation and our system, our political system and our economic system as the reasons, as the reason for their shortcomings, instead of looking at themselves and some of the bad decisions people make, but also the education system. I mean, I can tell you when people can't read proficiently, they can be convinced to see and they can be convinced that what they're seeing with their own eyes isn't real. As I stated before, I, I remember there was a, uh, a friend of my wife's had her son that was in a checkout line in a grocery store buying dog food. And a woman behind him tried to stir up a conversation. She simply said, well, I don't, you have a dog. And he said, no, ma'am, that's, I don't have a dog. This is my weight loss program. And he proceeded to tell the woman that he eats dog food to help him lose weight. And he convinced her of it. Folks, if he can convince that woman that he eats dog food to lose weight, then that woman can be convinced of a lot of different things, okay? Because what happens if you're not proficient in reading and you're not proficient in math, you don't have the confidence. You're not grounded. In, in, in logic and in, well, in, in facts, you're just not. You're easily swayed like the wind. Can be, you can be like the wave on an ocean. We'll go this way and that, and this way and then, and then that way. You can, you can be easily convinced of something that isn't real. And that's what happens, and that's what's happened in our inner cities. I mean, our, our young people aren't getting an education, and it's tragic. I mean, it's tragic what happened. See, our young people are the ones that sacrifice on the education that they don't get. I, I think what happens is young people, and you get one shot in education. So they come out of our schools that are unable to figure out basic math skills. They're not proficient in reading. They're not proficient in math. So they're easily convinced on something, seeing something that isn't real or believing something that isn't real. And they certainly detach from solving problems. They don't want to solve problems. They, they're, they're just, they want to just have things done for them. I think what happens when you have a society that is not proficient in math and reading is you have a society that's very susceptible to being misled by, by bad people, by bad leaders, but also to 
by accepting a form of government, i.e. socialism, that is not good for America, that is not good for any of us. A form of government that is inherently oppressive and inherently bad uh, and, and damaging to the family. And of course, an, a, gov- a form of government that takes away our liberties and what even what even that even means to people. They don't even understand what it means to have liberty and to lose it. What's interesting is that in any of these forms of government that where Venezuela and others like Cuba and others, all these governments that, that were, I should say, all these countries that, that went into socialism and communism, the people gave up their rights. They gave up their freedoms. They gave up their liberties. They gave them up for what they thought was going to be the promise and the hope of something better. And what they ended up with was was complete and utter despair. Folks, we are out of time. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks to all of our listeners for being with us today. We so appreciate you tuning in. Much of our audience listens to us live by going to YouTube, clicking Listen Live there by searching 1180WFYL on YouTube. Others go to the website 1180WFYL.com and click Listen Live there during normal air times. Others simply tune in during normal air times. But others wait for our expert directors to put our podcast up online and they pick up our podcast and listen to us at their convenience. However you choose to listen to us, we appreciate it. Thanks for being with us today. See you next week on The Point. I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.